Welcome back, guys, for the NASCAR segment of the Flag Hunting Podcast. We had a CJ Cup golf. We have Homestead, Miami, another marquee venue on the NASCAR schedule. First off, let's get into Las Vegas. A lot to talk about from the opening rounds, the opening race of the round of eight. Logano chases down Chastain down the stretch. We have some big-time incidents in the middle of the race all around. I was on. Shout out to our boy. Uh, we, We mentioned last week heading into the race but we had uh derek and seth from in between media uh hosting a, a live stream with uh our guys roy picks full tank phil uh skybox nascar and i uh, with chris on vacation in the uh, in the mountains doing a little camping trip for a night uh i was able to kind of sit in uh with a lot of them to react live to uh to that to that race and uh yeah what a race it was i mean we've, we've talked a lot it feels like a nascar a lot of uh, pessimism around the quality of the race and you know, not much has really happened in a lot of the races in the playoffs, but I think that uh, that race had a lot had had enough for you know to make up for kind of lack of action we've seen in the last two months. So I know Chris was in the mountains; he didn't have service for a lot of Sunday, but I know he um, he went back watched the race. He's got a lot of takeaways. So uh, yeah, let's start uh, start with the actual results, and then maybe we'll get into some of the um, yeah the drama that unfolded um, at the start of that race. So. Yeah, so I guess uh, to start, um, the Toyotas were not as strong as I thought they were going to be. <laughs> um, I mean, right. I think that there's there was still some potential for like like just looking at the total speed rankings. Like I think Bubba really was going to have a good car, and just you know, well, we'll get that in a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah. Joey, uh, Joey definitely shocks me. Like I I don't really think that I saw that come in. I think even when I saw the practice and qualifying splits and got our card out that morning, like I. I just kind of just like I was, even though he was like fourth in practice, like I, just, I don't know, I didn't really like it didn't really garner my attention, uh, which makes me even more mad because like last week when we recorded, like we called him out as being like the biggest value, like my model like really liked him last week, and yeah, I still was like wanting to ignore him for some reason. So that's always a little frustrating when like you know we easily could have bet him as like our oh, just blindly bet him as like our best value bet and and been sitting pretty Sunday, but. Props to Joey, man. Yeah. I mean, like, he just, like, continues to, like, it It kind of feels like, at this point, almost like a Joey championship season. Just because, like, every time, like, you're ready to count him out, and then he puts, puts into, like, a, like, a dominant performance like this, where, like, it just feels, it just, it almost feels reminiscent of the last time he won the championship, where, like, he just kept, put himself consistently in good positions. Um, yeah. And now he's the only guy locked in for Phoenix right now, and, and Phoenix is, a good track for Joey. So this is going to be really dangerous uh, for those of us holding Denny Hamlin and Christopher Bell championship tickets. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I guess other takeaways, uh, I guess we should just get into it. Um, yeah. About 70% of our card got taken out in one wreck. Um, I was pretty high on Bubba. I was pretty high on Larson, actually very high on Larson. I was um, feeling good about Bell's practice splits. Um, so, you know, here I was, I left the campsite Sunday morning to, to get in some plays. You know, I looked at all the practice splits and I'm like, oh yeah, we're just going to, I'm just going to hit some more Larson and Bubba plays. I'm going to throw a bell prop on there. And then I come to find out that it all went to shit because Bubba had a temper tantrum and decided to turn left right yeah. into Larson and completely ruin our day. So 
Yeah, general sentiment of this situation is um, I think NASCAR made the right call today by suspending him. I do think that there probably should have been some fines, too, because, I mean, I don't know. What does the suspension really mean to Bubba at this point? He's not in the playoffs or out of the owner's playoffs. Um, yeah. I think there should have been a monetary fine here as well. Uh, he, I'm trying to be careful the way I phrase this. He did the right thing. Well, not really did the right thing. There's, there's a, there's a, so Dale Jr. has a really interesting point about like, if you do intentionally do something on the track, you don't come out in the interview and, and say you did it because that's just asking to be penalized. Like he gave Dale Jr. was really hard on like William Byron um, when William Byron came out and said like, oh yeah, I retaliated. Like, you know, when, when people come out and say that, you know, they always say like, you know, oh, you always got to play it off. So he did play it off in the interview. Yeah. That's, that's something that people probably feel differently about, but um yeah, you say your steering broke, but then your the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the monitor showed telemetry. like full throttle. Yeah, yeah, the telemetry showed full throttle, even though your steering broke. Um, yeah, that was your biggest giveaway there, Bubba. But I think the worst part for me was, well, obviously, like taking out somebody straight away is just never good, especially right hooking them right into the wall, especially with all the injuries we've had. That's not good. Like you could have gotten your payback in other ways. But then to like try to like fight Kyle Larson, who clearly wanted nothing to do with him, like clearly has like what fifty pound advantage on him. It just the whole situation just really rubbed me the wrong way. And watching the stream back, it seemed like it bothered, you know, Mark and and Phil quite a lot too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm mainly mad because it completely fucked our card. Um, so that's yeah. just selfish reasons. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I think if you take a step back and look at it just from a general sentiment, um, yeah, it kind of showed Bubba's lack of maturity. Um, it, it, that pain. Yeah, me. and it's maybe. Yeah, for sure, because I, I do feel like um, now I don't I can't really speak to a lot of Bubba before this year or, you know, when he was really coming up to the ranks. But apparently he has he's kind of had these runs before. Like, this is not the first instance of Bubba um, kind of losing control behind the wheel emotionally. Um, but, yeah, I. I really surprised like i feel like bubba had taken a real step forward just in the sport of nascar in terms of his performance on the track um obviously he's an ambassador for a lot of different uh sects of the population when it comes to the sport of nascar so he represents a lot of different people um and so yeah that was really surprising i just didn't i don't know if it was i mean just my lack of knowledge with his up or um his history or something but like i would have never really expected that from bubba because i i mean i listen to like the radioactives I, I i watch all the races like i don't this is like the first time I've really seen Bubba at least this year, like, you know, lose his temper at all on the track. And like for it to come out this like abruptly and this like um, serious, like, I mean, I mean, that was one of the most egregious, like intentional wrecks I've seen in quite some time. Um, really, maybe the, the Logano Kenza thing, uh, maybe back in I don't even know, know what year that was, like 2016 or whatever, um, quite a few years back. Like that was like the last time I remember seeing um, I wreck that agree. Just and for for the amount of fuse we've had in in NASCAR this year, like the amount of spats we've had between you know obviously Hamlin and Chastain. I mean, well Chastain half the field, Suarez and Bale had a bit of a had a bit of a tiff. Um, you know, obviously Chase and Harvick have history. You know, we have a lot of kind of built-in wars in the sport of NASCAR, and like Bob Larson was not the uh, the the running I expected on on Saturday on Sunday afternoon. So. 
um yeah certainly that seemed to be the general consensus on on the uh, on the stream obviously i can't really speak to it because i don't i don't have any knowledge of like nascar's typical transgressions when it comes to these kind of you know when it comes to disciplining these kind of uh situations but yeah between like mark and uh full tech phil rory Derek, wormy all those guys like they were really 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 um upset which almost kind of took me took me back a little bit because i feel like nascar fans in a way like relish a little bit of the um not blood sport but a little bit of just the you know like the blue collar like um you know work out your differences with your hands sort of mentality like when i was growing up in nascar like you know like you celebrated fights on on pit road and on the track but i i understand now that obviously it was the incident itself that was really um yeah the smoking gun then then maybe the the altercation in the infield so um yeah, shocking to say the least, but if we kind of want to kind of get back into like the actual results of the race, I, I agree with you on Logano. I mean, that was a clinical, clinical performance and really for the first time and maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe not the first time in a long time, but certainly like at least for this week, it was very, very apparent that practice played a large, large role in the results because those Penske cars from pretty much the off, um, you know, whether it be Cindric, whether it be uh, Blaney, Logano, even Harrison Burton had a good showing on Saturday. Um, the Fords were, were pretty much faster off the hauler, and that really translated well into Sunday, especially for the top two Penske cars. I think Logano and Blaney were pretty safely, I think, the best two cars for a lot of that race. Uh, Chastain as well. A guy that me and you both were pretty pessimistic on going into the week. And, you know, we we kind of seen this from Chastain where he has a good Saturday. And that doesn't exactly translate to race pace on Sunday, at least in the last few months. Um, but he really proved a lot of people, I think, wrong, including myself. Um, with his performance, so I guess those of us that were pronouncing him dead in terms of the championship maybe have to eat, eat a little bit of crow because that was a really impressive performance for a lot of that race because maybe outside the Chupensky cars, he was the most consistent performer uh, there at the top. Sucks for Bell. I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we are, we're invested in a championship uh, future on him, so we are a little bit biased, but uh, yeah, he, was, he seemed to be pretty safely uh, in the running for a top five or top ten for most of the day, and uh, to see his day get wiped out for you know, through no fault of his own, was was pretty brutal to watch. And now, all of a sudden, he's pretty much faced with a must-win here again in these next two races at uh, Homestead, Miami, Martinsville. So, um, yeah, those are my takeaways. I mean, I think I think we really kind of got a little bit hosed by our, um, you know, I don't want to call it, I don't want to call it impatience, but just you know, we made all our bets on uh, Tuesday early in the week, and sometimes that's gonna work. Yeah, and then a catch good numbers, but it felt like um, it was more so in the negative this time because a lot of a lot of the drivers that we were fading their stock grew on Saturday. A lot of the drivers were touting their stock uh, was depressed on Saturday. So, and that and I think more so than a typical NASCAR race as of recently, that translated more into Sunday. So that was my my takeaway was just kind of like, of course, the week we had the most conviction on Tuesday, yeah. um, it doesn't translate into the actual performance of the cars. So. I don't know. It, it sometimes it seems like you're kind of um, playing a little bit of whack-a-mole there with, you know, when to make decisions and how to weigh practice because it hasn't always been that linear. Um, but certainly uh, those of those those of had the presence of mind to wait until the weekend. I think would have had um, maybe a bit better weeks. And I know Full Tank Phil. Uh, shout out to to him. He just had Chris on the podcast for Homestead Miami. So. Um, for this upcoming week, so if you want to hear more of Chris's takes, both for last week and this week, certainly tune into that podcast. For me, it's a must listen every single week as I try to kind of build 
follow my NASCAR knowledge and profile. He's he's phenomenal. And he hit a Logano winner um, on the stream um, there on Sunday. So he's coming off a hot streak, and hopefully he can rub a little bit off on us um, as we kind of head into the uh, latter half of this playoffs. Yeah, so uh, I guess before we jump into Homestead, I will do a little preview here of, of what we did on Phil's podcast. I don't know if he, he might get his out before us. I don't even know. But um, yeah, we had a lot of fun on there today. We just recorded about an hour or two hours ago. Um, we did, of course, I mean, when you get me and Phil together, we're going to talk about silly season. We had silly season talk. Um, we did a little draft of media personalities. So like who we think are kind of like the top NASCAR media personalities. Um, and yeah, what else did we talk about? We talked yeah a lot about the stream and, um, and then obviously we got into the, uh, full tank face off where we draft, um, head to head matchups. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, when that comes out, you have to give that a listen for sure. A lot of good talks on there. Um, but yeah, so yeah, like you said, of course it goes that way where like, I felt so strongly about so many different people last week. And then it just, it felt like all our numbers were not good come Sunday morning, but like you said, that's just sometimes the battle you have to face. Where like, if you think you've got conviction, you got to bet early. If you don't, you wait and see. So, um, mm-hmm. I think I think this week I'm kind of taking a similar approach where I've got some strong conviction, and I've got a few bets that I'm saying like, hey, this is where I'm leaning. So let's wait to see if it plays out. Um, so we'll talk about that here in a minute. But um, yeah, with that being said, we are off to South Beach, Florida, the Dixie Vodka 400. Um, it's at Homestead Miami Speedway. It is a mile and a half high tire wear intermediate track. Um, so your most comparables are Darlington and Auto Club. Um, so this is going to be where you're going to see. There's not going to be people coming in for two tires here. Promise you. This is a this is four tire city. Um, uh, as far as the tire combination goes, uh, this is the same one we ran at Kansas two, Texas two, Las Vegas two, and Pocono. Um, so uh, I know me and Phil just had a conversation about this. Um, about whether you are running most of your model off of Darlington Auto Club and Homestead, or if you're going to bring in those uh, those tire tracks. He didn't bring in the tire tracks. I did. Um, but we actually pretty much had, we kind of compared our results. And it's actually pretty similar. It's not that far off. Um, and then the left side tires here that are being used this weekend are unique to Homestead. So we haven't seen the left side tire combo used yet. Um, they did do a tire test this past September. Um Every team was present there. Um, they had a few cars splitting drivers. Um, so I talked about this on Phil's podcast, but I'm going to bring it up again. I think the most interesting takeaway from this tire test, um, I heard this today on DBC's podcast, which is Dorbin Clear. Um, so two of the spotters uh, that were on that show, one was there, one wasn't, but they gave their opinions of how the test went. They actually kind of disagreed. So I don't know if that says anything about how much harder it is to kind of handicap this weekend. But one of the two said, this is going to be a race of attrition. It's going to be kind of like Darlington, like who can survive the madness, like the, the, the length of the race, the, the um, abrasiveness of the track, who's going to be able to like, you know, keep their, keep their stuff, um, keep their tires underneath them. Um, and then, you know, he mentioned how really the only way they're able to find speed was running the wall which we pretty much expect. Now, the other spotter, which is TJ Majors, spotter of Brad Keselowski, he actually disagreed. He said that this car is not as good against the wall as the previous car has been, and that because everyone's going to be trying to run the wall, 
it's just going to create dirty air and it's actually not going to be the preferred line. And people are actually going to use like that middle, that mid, mid to low line um, and kind of use that um, uh, slide job technique to kind of slide up in front of people. Um, that's kind of be the preferred method. So I think it's going to be fun to watch because no one really knows. It really feels like no one knows what's going to happen. Um, I talked about last week how, you know, Coming in the week, you see Homestead, you kind of think Larson and Reddick are going to be your guys. But then I talked about last week how Larson said, or Reddick himself said, that he felt more confident in himself in Vegas than he did in Homestead. So who knows this week? Um, now, so what did I do for my model? I did, uh, I looked at Homestead from 2019 to now, which is basically just the last three races. Um, I know Phil pulled the last seven, so he had a little bit difference differences there from what I had. I'll talk about one of those things that he pointed out to me that actually is a little bit of a sticking point for me, so we'll talk about that. Um, I'm looking at the average finish and average qualifying at the tire code track, so that's Kansas 2, Pocono, Las Vegas 2, and Texas 2. I'm looking at the average finish and qualifying from the last three races at Homestead, which actually I should have crossed that off from my notes. I'm not looking at the qualifying from Homestead for the last three races because the last races there were during COVID, and they used the metric system to determine the qualifying order, so we're actually not looking at qualifying. Um, Similar track, total speed. So I'm looking at Darlington and Auto Club or Fontana. Um, looking at the fastest late in a run um, because that's important at high tire wear tracks. So we're looking at the fastest late in a run at Darlington Auto Club. And then I did bring in um, Homestead from last year, fastest late in a run. And then obviously we're looking at momentum. So we're looking at 2022 total speed, last six races average finish and drive rating, and then last 15 average, 15 races average finish and drive rating. So the model spits out a top 10 of number one, Danny Hamlin, number two, Tyler Reddick, which is pretty similar with the odds board. Um, that pretty, checks out pretty well. I think that was the same for Phil. He had the same top two. Um, number three, William Byron. Number four, Joey Logano. Number five, Christopher Bell. Number six, Chase Elliott. Number seven, Martin Truex. Number eight, Ryan Blaney. Number nine, Kyle Larson. And number 10, Eric Jones. So um, comparing that against the odds board, um, the biggest value on the board is Eric Jones for me. Like it is a big value. Um, I think Phil, I didn't, I haven't actually heard Phil's recording of his podcast because he does that on his own, but Phil said that he's actually looking at this as well. It was a big difference for him as well. He thinks the book's got this wrong. I tend to agree as I have a rank, a model rank of 10, whereas the, uh, the board has them at number 17. Um, so I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I actually already bet Eric Jones at that 50 to one number because I'm kicking myself for not betting the biggest value last week, so we're going to go ahead and bet it this week. Um, so half a unit, 50 to 1, that is already on the card. Um, so uh, some other top values, uh, William Byron, third in my model, ninth on the odds board. Uh, Christopher Bell, fifth on the model, ninth on the odds board as well. Um, those are kind of the, the big ones. Austin Dillon is one that's also up there, um, but he's further down, so it's 14 versus 21, so I don't really know how to take that. Um, but yeah, I know I kind of spewed a lot of information there, but let's go ahead and get to the odds board. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, um, you know, there's, I think from what I gathered from your model versus the odds board, like there's a lot of different arguments you make for a lot of different drivers. I feel like this is a pretty wide open week, at least in terms of what the books think. I mean, it's very rare, I think, in NASCAR to see this much, um, like this lack of dispersion between like, I mean, from seven to one to 12 to one, there's 11 drivers, uh, which is pretty crazy. Usually you have maybe one or two like key fa clear favorites, and then you have like a lot of guys, maybe the value guys, quote unquote, in like the mid-teens, and we just don't see a lot of that. It kind of jumps from, again, 7, 8 to 10, 11, 12, and then it goes right down to 18 to 1. So 
I think the Bucks, um, in a way, maybe are a little bit unsure of themselves. So maybe finding out, um, finding a value early in the week, or maybe projecting is going to be fast on on Saturday can get you a lot of value come Sunday because uh, you know the Bucks maybe are in a bit of a wait and see approach uh, themselves. So. Let's go into the actual odds and who is favored here. There are two clear guys, I guess, at the top of the odds board here. Tyler Reddick and Denny Hamlin. Um, yeah, probably unsurprisingly, the top two of Chris's model are 7-8-1 and eight to one on this odds board. Uh, you do have Kyle Larson and Ross Chastain also at 10-1. to one. We'll stop there. Those are kind of the key top four before we head to this big pack at 11-12-1. to one. Um, Did you see enough in your numbers to make a click at this at this? Um, in this top range or are you more in the um more of the camp of there's just not, not that big of a gap between these guys and the guys we'll be talking about later on yeah so this is where the strategy is going to be a little bit of a mix and a little bit of change from last week that's kind of like a wait and see um as far as the top of the board goes the top two are the two that i'm leaning over the larson and chastain i expected it to be a lot higher larson than I am, um, but the the models puts him out at ninth, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, it really just comes down to like he hasn't really been good at the tire combo tracks. His average finish at Homestead hasn't been good, even though the driver rating has been. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think like I don't know when I first saw the odds board before I put them all together, like Larson stuck out to me. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I, the numbers aren't the models not saying the same thing. So. Um, I can't really say that I have yeah. an argument for Larson or Chastain. It feels weird saying that because Chastain just literally made me eat my words last week, but there's nothing here that makes me want to bet him again this week. So I can't say I'm going to be on him. So it really does come down to Denny Hamlin and, and Reddick. Um, I do think I will end up on one of them unless they just like, like blow the field out of the water, practice qualifying and end up at like four to one, then yeah, sure. Probably won't be able to that point. But um, I think my bigger lean is Denny. Uh, because when you look at the tire combo tracks, he's second average finish um, compared to Homestead, his uh, second driver rating over the last three years, um, at fourth and average finish. Um, and then you look at track speed at similar tracks, fifth in total speed, um, six fast late in a run at the high tire road tracks. So then he just happens, he just he's, he knows how to find his way to the end of these high tire road tracks. Um, Tyler Dungeon, Tyler has great stats as well like they're both like it's 1a 1b um so where it lies down to me so i originally and this is where i think it's gonna be a, a kind of a conversation point because if you look at the tire combo tracks that you know the texas to vegas to kansas to pocono denny's qualifying numbers are not good like we're talking like ranked 15th so my my contention point was like all right i'm just gonna wait i'm gonna wait and we're gonna get denny in a better number well, then Phil just happened to tell me on his podcast. He said, hey, go pull up his racing reference page and look at his qualifying uh, at Homestead. And uh, yeah, um, so since 2015 forward, we're talking about first, fourth, first, first. And then there's three firsts in a row, but the three firsts in a row were the metric qualifying. It just happened to be. But we're the three years before that, first, first, fourth, and first. So I'm in a little bit of a pickle now because I, I planned on waiting, but Phil's yeah. kind of convincing me the other way of like, I think you, if you're high on Denny, you might just go ahead and bet him. Um, but like, like I said, if you look at just the, the track, the tire code tracks, um, Denny has qualified. Um, yeah. Like 21st, 15th, 5th, 
second. I mean, so not bad, but not mm-hmm. enough. There's too much inconsistency there. Um, yeah. So I don't know if what I'm saying is if you're taking anything away from it, but I'm in a little of a pickle because I think Denny is my lean, but I, part of me wants to wait to see who qualifies better between Hamlin and Reddick. Right. No, I, I, I get what you're putting down. I think the main question we have to ask here is what has been more predictive in terms of Saturday performance? Has it been their historic results qualifying at that track, or has it been more their comp track performance on Saturday this year? Because obviously we are dealing with a new car. I feel like we've been pretty good at predicting the qualifying results. Like I think Chris, like whenever we talk on Saturday morning or whatever it may be, or whenever we're discussing poll bets, he's usually pretty good at diagnosing who's going to be to be popping at least in qualifying and who, you know, we've, we've come really close on Paul best. We hit a Paul bet um, last week. So I feel like you've leaned more into this year. If I'm not mistaken, when you, when you're talking about when you're building your poll models, you, I feel like you've um, you put a lot more weight or a lot more emphasis, especially as the season's gone on. And we've gotten better at kind of predicting the Saturday performance into the comp tracks this year. So um, like you said, Danny's not exactly been a slouch when it comes to, um, to qualifying on these kind of, you know, the auto clubs, the, the, the Darlington's of the world, but um, yeah, maybe not as much of a juggernaut as his previous Darlington or his previous uh, homestead history would indicate. And just, I mean, as an aside, I mean, the books maybe might tend to agree with that because you wouldn't think a guy that what the last four pole performances he's had where they actually ran the, the Saturday uh, qualifying was what first, first, fourth, first, He's 10 to 1 in the poll. So I think books aren't really giving that much respect in general to, to to carry on that success. Like I think they may I think that his odds at 10 to 1 as the four, as T4 on the pole position odds board, I think it speaks more to the books agreeing with you in that sense. Is they're they're more so looking at the 2022 results in this new car as opposed to historical data we have from from many years back. So obviously um we're not going to know the answer until Saturday, but we can kind of, you know, look at or, or follow the breadcrumbs as, as much as we can and uh, and see that maybe the books follow a particular line of thought um, as opposed to the other. But yeah, um, so, so and, and also the thing with Hamlin is he's eight to one and you wouldn't really expect him to fall that far down the odds board. To be winful, um, unless he just has like a dominating Saturday where he like dominates in practice as well, um, because I feel like most of the line movement we see um comes from kind of if like for example last last week logano um and blaney they were kind of 12 14 16 to 1 once they had that saturday session they jumped up to 7 to 1 whereas guys that would maybe start out as chalk um even if they had good saturdays they don't tend to um unless they're just like clearly better which i would find very hard to believe uh at this point of the season but unless they're clearly better than the rest of the field they you know maybe you might lose a point point and a half but you're not gonna you're not going to see like a, you know, their, their number carved in half um, like you would from maybe like a guy at 12 or 16 to one to start the week. So something to think about, like I said, I'm the novice here. So I'm just trying to um, <laughs> trying to decipher stuff myself. Um, but certainly something to think about um, as the week goes on, but it seems like it's kind of a wait and see, are you leaning more towards one or the other? Like if you had to pick one, you would you rather see the dad on Saturday or are you prepared I mean, to kind of all your numbers? They're, they're pretty close. Like I said, I think they're one, a one B, but I think if I had to, if I had to choose one or the other, I think it would be it would be Denny. Right, right, all right. So obviously, uh, if Chris does make a decision point, um, he always puts out his pre-practice qualifying cards. So again, make sure to follow on Twitter, uh, have those notifications on, so that 
if a decision is made, you can be right alongside us um, and not have to deal with the, the fluctuating numbers that we're going to see from Saturday and Sunday. Um, but yeah, that's enough for the top of the board. We still have plenty of guys to talk about, plenty of interesting names here from 11 to 12. Um, just on, yeah, just from 11 and 12 to one uh, alone, we have Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Chris Rebell, Martin Drex Jr., and William Byron. Um, like we kind of previously mentioned, very condensed port, uh, part of the odds board, a lot of key decision points. It reminds me of a lot of the golf board this week. You know, you kind of have four clear favorites, and then you have a lot of guys maybe with um, with some question marks and some merits um, here in the middle of the board. So, yeah, 11 to 12 to 1, I'm sure you have strong opinions. Um, who are you leaning towards? Who are you fading? Yeah, this is, a, this is a fun part of the board for sure, just like you said. Um, and um, I think actually most of the guys in this range um, are actually talked about in me and Phil's head-to-head kind of face-off. Um, so I don't want to give away spoilers of that, but um, so I guess let me first talk about let me talk about the two guys I like the most. So two guys I like the most in this range are Joey and uh, William Byron. Um, I do tend to think that there is something to like a you could probably argue for for your for golf too, but like a winner's curse where like you don't really like to bet winners back to back. I know Phil's a big proponent of that too. Um, so if I use that theory, then I'm kind of crossing Joey off. But Joey, I mean, fourth in my model, you're talking about first and average finish at the tire combo tracks, first and average qualifying at the at the combo track. So like he's his numbers are only gonna get shorter from here. Um, that already burned us once last week. Um now, I only pulled the last three races of Homestead, and those numbers haven't been great. If you do pull more, like you, I think Phil pulled seven, seven years worth, um, Joey's numbers do actually look pretty good over the seven years. But if I'm just looking at the last three, the driver rating of 14th, average finish of 19th, um, average finish of 11th over his career. So like I said, it does get better when you look at the full career. But um, yeah, first and sim- uh, similar track total speeds, second and fastest late in a run. Joey's numbers, like, they're good. Um, if he hadn't have won this past week, I think I'd be betting him right right now. Um, but I had to kind of narrow it down here because if I want to go to the top of the board come Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning, I really can only pick you know like one of these guys. So I did end up going William Byron um, because he was one of the bigger one of the bigger uh, uh, values of my board or my model compared to the board. Um, it might be a little bit of a lazy pick because he also happens to be the defending race winner. Um, but he's, he's, I mean, he's just, he's been really solid this year and he's been really solid this track. He's actually sneakily second in total speed on the season now of, of all drivers. Um, and a lot of people know that over the last six races, he's first in drive rating, um, third and average finish. So if you talk about momentum, that's something I like to talk about. Uh, Bill Byron's got a lot of momentum right now. Um, at the tire combo tracks, ninth and average finish, sixth and average qualifying. So kind of middle of the line, but the one that was a real sticker point for me was the similar track total speed. He's second. And then uh, fastest late in the run, he's actually tied with Joey for second in that as well. Um, so, yeah, Bill Bill Byron, man, he just he just really sticks out to me. It seems like a guy that uh, um, is really good at saving his stuff and making sure he can make it to the end. Uh, he's not afraid to kind of run a few different lines. He's also currently under the cut line. So, like, this is a big race for him. I think this weekend, next week, I think these are actually both really good tracks for him this next two weeks. Martinsville um, is a track we've already seen him win earlier this year. Um, but 
I think 12 to one is actually a really good number on William Byron. Um, and I'm kind of feeling, feeling the 24 car this weekend. So, um, other guys in this range. Oh, so I guess I should say that is one that I have already clicked. Um, so him and Eric Jones are kind of my only clicks so far. Um, Brian Blaney. Well, actually, let me start with Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is my biggest fade. Um, and I talk about this on, on Phil's podcast, too. Um, there is, I mean, even though he's sixth in my model, a lot of that, a lot of what's pushing him up in the model is just the, like, the momentum ranking or, like, the full year ranking stuff. Where, you know, like, he's third in total speed on the year and second in driver in the last six races, first in driver in the last 15. That stuff all speaks great. But when you look at the tire combat tracks, 16th in average finish, 21st in average uh, average qualifying, similar track total speed, 20th, fastest light to run, 10th. Like, there is not a lot going for Chase at these intermediates. He seems to just kind of disappear. We saw it last week at Vegas. I think you guys talked about on the stream about how, like, like where the hell was he, like, all day long. Um, yeah, that's – yeah, I think Wormy said it. It's like that's your – that's the championship paper right now, the guy that, like, legitimately couldn't even pass, like – Justin Haley under green and like AJ Allmendinger under green. I mean, he was, yeah, to your point, an absolute no show. I mean, we've kind of talked about this like a little bit on the podcast, and I feel like a lot of the pods that I listen to have kind of, um, they pay me this point down as well. The fact that Chase like is a lot more respected in the futures market than he maybe should be, and then week to week as well. Like, I mean, a lot of the success he's had has been based on strategy, a lot of success he's had is based on just the, the solid of his team of his race team and um i mean the fact that i mean he was such i mean he because of his regular season i mean he, he won five times i think in the regular season at least four um but because of that he had such a big lead heading into each of these rounds in the playoffs all of a sudden chase elliott 22 points back of obviously Logano is, is locked in uh but only 17 points ahead of the cut line so so if he doesn't pick it up soon he could be in danger unthinkably of crashing out before the round of four which, you know, for a guy that built up as many regular season and playoff points as he did, um, again, would be pretty unthinkable. So certainly not a lock or certainly not the lock that we all assumed um, it would be at Phoenix coming into uh, coming into the round of eight. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> it's kind of dangerous when we agree on the fades because I was like completely gung ho with you on Chastain as well. But, yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more um, a lot more support on the, the fate of the nine than we did last week on the fate of the one because. Uh, that seems to be the general consensus. I think of a lot of sharp NASCAR betters is is Chase is very much overvalued in a lot of these markets uh, just based on name value and, and based on obviously regular season performance. So yeah, we are in lockstep there. Elliot a bit of a fade. Uh, Logano, Byron, the two favorites here in this kind of 11 to 12 to one jumble. We move all the way down to 18 to one for our next driver, Kevin Harvick, um, who has kind of been sneaky the last couple of weeks. Like it doesn't seem like Harvick. I mean, I guess. I guess this is kind of the story of Harvick's entire year and maybe career, but like he's never really that good in qualifying or practice. Like he never really pops in any, any models. It feels like, but here he is with like 15 laps to go when he's like restarting second or restarting third. Uh, we saw it at the Roval. We saw it again last week in Vegas, 18 to one interested in your take on him. Now the book I'm looking at still has Bubba Wallace on the odds board. Uh, that is obviously not a bet you want to make as he's suspended for John Hunter Nemechek. Um, so we'll just completely gloss through Bubba. We've talked about him enough to this week. Um, so yeah, Harvick at 18. Gregson is the next driver uh, that's in this race at 30 to 1. Chase Briscoe at 33. Suarez at 33 as well. Uh, we'll stop there before we get to the real long shots, kind of past 50. But Harvick, Gregson, uh, Briscoe, and Suarez, this is the range that interests you uh, at all? 
not really to be honest with you um like uh like i know i've already like harped on them but like i don't i don't really understand why these guys are priced higher than eric jones like i i just i don't i don't get it um if there was one guy that i had to pick in this range um i I would say i'd be between harvick and suarez i guess harvick harvick is good historically here like second average finish seventh in driver rating um but the comp tracks have not been good this year um we're talking about like 21st in average finish 25th in average qualifying 15th in total speed 20th fastest late in the run which the fastest late in the run i thought would have been better like i thought like like, like we just said like he's always kind of seems to be there at the end but the fastest late in the run doesn't even correlate like i'm actually kind of surprised yeah. he's even rating as highly in the model as he is because he's at 11 in the model which isn't really that bad but still one point behind eric jones um if I had to make a case for yeah. Daniel Suarez, yeah. uh, we're talking about third and average finish at the tire combo tracks. So Suarez is like not, I mean, he's been good at at the, at the comp tracks that's using the same tire code. 12th and total speed um, at the similar tracks. Um, but the Homestead careers in the 20s, uh, as far as driving average finish goes, yeah, not really speaking to me there. So yeah, to be completely honest, and like Austin Tidrick, I think we've quoted this a few times this year, uh, but I think Worm said it either on our podcast or Derek's show. Cindric is just not good. Like he'll qualify good at the high tire wear tracks, but he doesn't actually race well. Um, and that that checks out. Like he's we're talking about average finish of 19th at the high tire wear tracks. So um, yeah, I don't I don't really have anything for this range to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't want to cut you off, but there's no need to talk about a range that you have no interest in. All I wrote down for that range was Eric Jones over the entire range of the 30s <laughs> so if we are looking for matchups maybe looking forward as uh, as they get posted more and more props get posted on these uh on these different books uh definitely uh maybe race to targets in terms of a you know a race to target as uh names to pick on uh if you do like some of these drivers further down the board or in this range uh so let's get into the 50 to range because i know we are itching to hear the eric jones case 50 to 1 your boy ej uh obviously a winner at darlington um i'll let you make the uh the expanded case for that but yeah obviously a name that we are super super interested in this week uh he is right alongside we already mentioned Austin Cedric, but chris busher brad kozlowski aj allmendinger all kind of in this 50 to 60 range i'm i know ej is your favorite is there anyone else that piques your interest is there anyone else that you are uh maybe uh interested in for another reason um, or, or something of that look so as far as outrights no there's nobody else that interests me. Um, I will say, if you go back and watch the race from last year, uh, Chris Buescher was really impressive. Um, actually, Chris Buescher and, ironically, Brad, they were on two different teams last year. But, um, ironically, both of them looked really good last year at this track. Um, but I don't really find it worth betting them here. Um, they haven't been good at any of the comp tracks. Um, but if you want to look at last year and you want to point something out, like Chris, Chris did have a good run. Um, Austin Dillon, I mean, staring at a top 10 prop for him because he's got, a, he's like plus 300, I think for a top 10. Um, I haven't clicked it yet, but I'm close. I'm really close. Cause he's yeah. the tire, the tire combo tracks. He's fourth in average finish. Um, he tends to qualify where qualify well, 10th in, in average qualifying, um homestead in general has got an average finish of fifth um now if you look at like more like this year like the similar track 
which is like the high tire wear tracks. He does have a total speed of 24th, which is that's the only thing that's kind of shined me away. Because like, do you do you put more emphasis on the high tire wear or do you put more emphasis on the tire code tracks? Because they're two completely different tracks. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I haven't clicked it yet, but I've been staring at it. Um, so Eric Jones, obviously, let's get to Eric Jones. Um, again, I don't, I don't know where this fifty to one number is coming from. Like, I'm scared that the books know something that I don't know. Um, but like, literally, literally tenth of my model, we're talking about at the high at the high tower tracks, fourth in total speed this year. It and it hasn't been, you know, just Darlington. Like he was good at Auto Club. He was good last week at Vegas, so it's not like he hasn't been good lately. Like he ran really well last week um, at the comp uh, at the tire code track, which I keep referencing. Um, he's got an average finish of sixth, um, and then if you look at uh, like his average finish over the last six races, he's sixth. Last average finish over the last fifteen races, he's fourth, and then fastest late in run at the high tire tracks, he's fifth. Like I I don't know. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I mean, like his homestead, if you just look at just historical data, the homestead data it might be what they're looking at. Like it's it's not it's not great. Um but if if we're putting more emphasis on like next gen data, like this this car, yep, he's proven it. So yeah, I'm all in. Like I could almost like I just I just said on Phil's podcast, like I'm almost tempted to just throw a bunch of numbers at Eric Jones. Like half a unit on the outright. You can yep. get you can get um, a top 10 at plus 180. You can get plus a top five at plus 600. Like, we could almost spend, like, two units and put it on, like, three different three different bets. We're not putting a lot of investment, but, like, big payouts. So, yeah, I'm really tempted to go all in, like, just go all in on Eric Jones. I actually... Yeah, I was going to... I actually, like, I actually on... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're good. I was just I just was gonna say I'm literally about to ask you that exact same thing when you've, because I haven't seen this much conviction, especially down the board in quite some time. And obviously, when you get to the 50 to one range, you know, like outright's not your only option. You know, with some of these favorites, sometimes the top five and top ten numbers are a little bit, you know, they're just unbettable at the numbers they're presented at. But um, yeah, certainly, you know, if you've got that conviction and it seems like I've already seen some hype for Eric Jones on on the brief Twitter interactions I've been witnessing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you got to take advantage if you really have a strong lean, uh, sounds like, you know, a top 10 driving your model is very, very rarely 50 to one. So, you know, you, you've got to maybe diversify your portfolio a little bit and Hey, you know, I know, um, I know there were some rumblings about, like, I, I did see a few guys on him at Darlington and, um, I think you yourself mentioned kind of his, his previous history there. We kind of missed that. So if books are going to disrespect him again and keep disrespecting him and to your point, it's not like. He's a one-trick pony that's only showed up at comp tracks. Like, uh, he's, it feels like he's had speed for, for quite some time now, and um, he's always a name that seems to pop up in the top 10, um, you know, more than more than his odds would indicate. So, uh, yeah, EJ51, I've already locked it in, and we will be um, definitely keeping all monitored on potential props, matchups, and other ways we want to, uh, to be exposed to the 43 this week. So, yeah. I guess uh, <laughs> I don't know how much farther we want to go down the list. Um, you know, Austin Dillon was uh, a top 10 play that Chris already mentioned. He's plus 300 on DraftKings. We're still waiting on um, on something on there. 
I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we, uh, we're going to ignore the 150 to one bombs like we do in golf or, um, is there a shitbox special you're particularly interested in? No, yeah, I didn't even really look at <laughs> any of these guys past like 80 to one. Okay, cool. So final thoughts before we go into the recap, Chris, or have we, uh, have we covered our, covered our bases so far for this, for the, uh, Dixie Bach to 400? Yeah, I think, I think we've pretty much covered our bases. Um, you know, it might not be on the official card, but like if you go listen to Full Tank Phil's podcast, you know, I did a lot of research on matchups this week for the faceoff. So um, there's a yeah. few there's a few matchups that I like. Um, without without spoiling the podcast, you know, uh, Phil's podcast, you know, like there's a there's a lot of conviction for guys that I've already liked that I've talked about today that you can find, and guys that I'm fading, you can find yep. similar matchups um, to that sentiment. So. Uh, yeah. Just listen to listen to Full Tank Field to to hear those. But um, yeah, there's some fun matchups to take advantage of this week too, and I don't normally dive into those. So yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think um, you know, <laughs> at least last week, a core a core takeaway from from the two of us, whether it's golf or NASCAR, last week was kind of do as I say, not as I do, um, because I think I think we had a lot of good points on each of our shows, and we just didn't make the right decisions in terms of the actual bets we made. Um, but, you know, certainly if we can't give you winning bets, hopefully we give you good information to make your own decisions and be a, be a helpful part of your process, kind of navigating these fields and these races um, as the season goes on. So quick recap here um, in terms of that. So, yeah, as I was going to say, make sure to go uh, listen to uh, to Chris's takes on uh, on Full Tank Field. And if you aren't already a follower of, uh, of his work, of Full Tank Field's work, um, you know, this should be a nice introduction to that. It should be a good excuse to go over there and uh, – and see if he's cooking up on, on a week-to-week basis because I think it's some of the best content we have in the industry. So, um, yeah, much love to, to Phil up there. I'm not the biggest Phillies fan. I'm not exactly pulling for him, but I will be happy, uh, at least for, for one Phillies fan in particular, if they do manage to take it home this October. Uh, but, yeah, quick recap before we get out of your way here. In terms of the betting board, Chris's leans on a Tuesday evening. Uh, at the top of the board, we – Prefer Reddick and uh, Reddick and Hamlin. We think the book's got it right here. The top four: Reddick and Hamlin over Larson and Chastain. Chris has a slight Hamlin lean over Reddick, but we're going to kind of uh, wait and see on Saturday, or at least late in the week, and see kind of how things develop uh, before we make a click that far that high up the board. But the 11 car is our initial lean at the top. In terms of the 11 to 12 range, uh, it's between Logano and Byron. Chris has already quit. Uh, Chris has already clicked William Byron at 12 to one. Uh, so make sure you throw those bets in. Uh, um, but the 22 card definitely piqued his interest a little bit in that range as well. Chase Elliott, a key fade in that range if you're looking for matchups or um, or something of that ilk. As we get further down the board, um, not too much interest until we get to 50 to 1 at Eric Jones. Um, that's a number I'm already seeing move down to 40 to 1 to some shops. So I think uh, some early sharp money has come in on Eric Jones. So um, something to keep in mind there. The 43 either is not right, a prop. Uh, finish position, matchup, whatever you want. Chris is in on that. Um, and yeah, there's not that much else, I don't believe, that we that we really covered. Um, again, pretty short, compact card. Again, when everyone's like 11 and 12 to 1, it's hard to really uh, be betting a multitude of guys, at least outright. So uh, for us, right now, initial leans, the 11, the 22, and the 24. 24 is already locked in. Uh, and stay tuned um, at flag underscore hunting on Twitter to kind of see our final ads and additions on uh, Friday or Saturday as we head into the weekend. So, yeah, should be a heck of a race. Homestead Miami is always, like I said, kind of a marquee track. 
Um, a lot of different lines being run. If you can, uh, if you believe TJ Majors on the Door Bumper Clear podcast, so uh, should be a fun week. Let's carry some momentum forward, heading uh, out of a crazy week in Vegas. Uh, let's have a good one here in Miami. So for Ian, Chris, flag hunting, uh, signing off for this week. Let's uh, let's catch some morning boys. See you guys next week.